0: It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie Com.
1: Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookalbaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the Industrial Organizational Psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out Seabock's IO Career Pathfinder membership at Seabock.com. If you're a more established I.O. practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's I.O. or applied I.O. psychology program? Go to CBOC.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences and businesses. Get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of I.O. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome to our weekly gatherings of IOHRs recruiters and all of those people who like to help people in the world of business, including one actor. Uh, Dr. Jeremy is um, I don't know where he is today. But we've got Dr. Destiny, uh, who will be leading us today. So destiny. Uh, today, we're going to talk a bit about reputation, especially in the office. Um, great topic. Uh, how do you want to kick us off?
3: Well, hello. It's nice to be back. And where is Jeremy? You know, he's doing Jeremy things. He's probably out there hunting and doing all the things that we all want to be doing instead of, you know, working. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So we're talking about reputation today, which I think is a fun topic. Uh, it can be. Uh, we all know we all know a lot about reputation of people and of organizations. And, you know, uh, a lot of things are, you know, heavily you know, politicized and all kinds of things lately. So when we talk about reputational risk, uh, we want to go back to the this really basic generic idea of what reputation is identified as in the research. And it says, reputation is what others perceive of the individual, such as subordinate ratings of leader personality and more. So very basic, what's the perception um, and then reputational risk—it's uh, the damage that can occur to a business or a person when it fails to meet the expectations of its stakeholders, and thus negatively perceived. It can affect any business person, regardless of size or industry. So, um, not sure if anybody's had any relevant experience with this. I'm sure there are. There might be some fun stories today, and I'm excited to hear.
2: Well, and I see that Dr. Ariana already has her hand up. So let's go to you.
4: Hi, everyone. Good morning reputational risk is a big area in my current workplace so i'm an advisor advisor for ethical culture in the space of ethics and compliance so we actually have a lot of people coming to us for an ethical culture assessment where we survey their entire employee population but it's often because they've just faced a misconduct scandal so you probably have heard of many of those but Misconduct conduct scandals are one of the biggest reputational risks that an organization can face. It can be things like corruption at the most senior levels, fraud, things like oil spills. It really can span the whole spectrum. Um, so then we come in and help them to understand, well, what is their culture representing? Do people feel safe to talk about the things that are kind of negative undercurrents in the culture? Do people... Uh, feel comfortable reporting misconduct when it comes up. So I think this is a really important and fascinating topic.
2: It's it's one of those things that you know is the old adage true where reputation takes a long time to build and a second to destroy. Um, and are we are we treating this different now than say we were ten years ago?
4: I think so, Tom, especially to your first question. It is almost probably frustrating for senior leaders to see how quickly a reputation could take a hit. Um, I hate to call them out, but Southwest recently, with all of the flight delays, is a great example. They've been one of the companies that we would showcase as a top culture, a top place to work, a, a top airline to take. And yet, one incident which was highly impactful has perhaps given them a bad reputation, people might be less likely to choose that airline at the moment. Um, And I think especially when the, the misconduct or the challenges that have hurt a reputation, I think especially when there's values conflict where they are no longer representing what they said they were and they're creating distrust for their customers or just for their general brand, I think that that takes A lot more trust and rebuilding in order to achieve the same level that they were at before
2: so so true dr martha let's go to you
5: i think that you're right in terms of reputation taking longer to build a good reputation well bad one too i guess depends on what reputation you've got going but if your if your aim is to have good reputation i think it doesn't take as much to ruin it as it would take to build it however I think that we need to remember that sometimes the object of conversation needs to be taken into consideration here because certainly organizations, uh, many of them want to have a positive reputation, want their brand to be associated with a positive reputation. Many of them are proactive. Uh, They may proactively be involved in humanitarian work or things to do with the environment, right? Others are more of a knee-jerk reaction to something bad that happened. But when we look at individuals, especially individuals have any kind of celebrity status, it is mind-boggling how they could shoot a puppy one week and within a month, it's like nothing ever happened in the public's eye. So we have to be cognizant of that. Reputation is not all the same across the board. It depends on who your uh, subject of, of, um, of discussion is. So there's some funny things in terms of public and their amnesia or selective memory. If you hold a certain status, then you could pretty much set an orphanage on fire and all will be well in a couple of weeks. And that's disheartening.
2: It truly is, and, and we now see that everywhere. But but let me ask you this, because there's going to be some leaders out there who go, you know, I've got a reputation, none of my employees like me, but the work gets done. <laughs> and, you know, we, we look at the turn, you know, uh, you know, back in the 1800s when the tick off the industrial revolution, that worked really well. But we're, you know, a a century and a half and over that now, away from the birth of the Industrial Revolution, but there's still leaders who think that's the way to go and that's the reputation they want. How do we convince them, yeah, that doesn't work anymore?
5: Well, I don't know that you can convince someone who thinks that it's working for them. Some people for whatever their reasoning. Maybe the reasoning is it's easier to be a jerk and get things done than to try to be a nice guy and they'll walk all over you and they'll take advantage and things won't get done. So whatever their reasoning, if somebody is convinced that that is what works, that is what gets things done, you're not going to convince them. You can show them all kinds of statistics. You can show them all kinds of things. So in essence, you have to wait for these people to retire. Because they're out there. Some people simply embrace negativity, negative attention. There are people who will tell you any attention is good attention. This is a reason why certain kids act out. Because if they're not getting positive attention, any attention will do. It's no different for adults, unfortunately. And if you have a lifetime worth of reinforcement to prove you right in your own head anyway, or a career's worth of reinforcement to prove you right in your own head, what's the motivation there is no reason to change so in those cases we have to be realistic you're not going to convince everybody and in some cases you just have to wait for them to retire and that's
2: sad but it is true it is the truth linda and let's go to you
6: i think that um I, I love dr martha's points on this but um and i read recently something you know how individuals you can they can receive accolades and accolades and accolades. And, and the one thing they remember is the negative comment someone made to them. And um, I read re- something recently and maybe the IOs who are more versed in research can pull this up for me. But um, there's something biological about us that it's easier t- for us to remember and focus on the negative than the positive. So I I'm, my understanding, and I don't have it the the actual documents to back it up here now, but I did see recently in um, an article or something that I was reading where it's human nature to remember the negative more easily than the positive. Um, So I think you're dealing with a little bit of that as well when you're talking about corporate reputation. The other thing, though, is organizational values are key in navigating A corporate blow up of reputation. And the ones who have really used those values the best to navigate recovery and let them guide them, their decisions. And it's really helpful when you are making critical decisions and you go back to using those values. It makes decision making so much easier and so much easier to communicate to the organization, the employees. Um, And that's why one of the reasons is it's so important to have clarity of purpose and values going forward because it helps you navigate those really hard times.
2: With that in mind, with organizations specifically, because we've, we've been going through the great resignation recently, do you think that culture in organizations is changing across the board or is it like Dr. Martha says, where they may be doing environmental causes, uh, they may be helping, you know, with communities, but the culture itself internally really isn't changing.
6: I, my general impression from the people that I work with and talk to and stuff, I think it is changing. The, I'm not going to say that you know there aren't the the old school holdouts, but. Uh, and and that there there isn't some friction in in the process. But I think in general the expectation is that you care about your clients and your employees, and they're not succeeding at whole, digging their feet in. And I've seen this happen a lot with other organism, other issues where people go, "Oh, it's going to go away, right? It'll it'll be a flash in the pan." Yeah, not so much, not so
2: much. It's all of those leaders who demanded that everyone come back to the office, who then saw them all leaving. Uh, Lee, let's go to you. And first of all, I love that you quoted Shakespeare, the evil that men do live after them. Well, the good is often interred with their bones. Thank you very much for that. Always great that, to go to Shakespeare.
7: That was just for you, Tom. Uh, it was also what I thought of when uh, whoever was that said that something about her. uh You know, I think that one thing that's important to differentiate here is the difference between Uh, organizational uh, reputation and personal reputation. Um, Because you as a leader, you know, quote, unquote, could have a terrible reputation within your organization, you could be a tyrant, you could be a, you know, a a fear, you know, do it or else kind of person. And yet your organization may have a glowing reputation. And, you know, there have been times where you know, the rot underneath the surface has finally bubbled up and people went, wow, I thought that was a great company. And all of a sudden, you know, you find out that, you know, it's been a terrible culture. And, you know, ultimately, I think that if that's the case, it's going to affect the company. Whether it affects reputation or not, it's going to affect the company. It's going to affect the bottom line. And, you know, it's going to affect turnover and all these other things that we've discussed, you know, when you talk about your culture. And, and then you have the public perception, as in your customers. You know, do I want to buy your product? And then you have the reputation as far as the job market goes. So, you know, I may be willing to buy your product, but I ain't no way in heck I'm going to go to work for you because the words out that you are a crummy place to work. And so there's there's various levels. You know, there's different layers in this onion that we could peel, and uh, we could be here for hours going through this but uh and it is fascinating i think dark martha brought this up or i think earlier about how uh you know some animals are more equal than others you know you get some people that are uh some organizations and or even you know people celebrities whatever brands that you know somebody trips on the sidewalk and it is front page news for ever and it just destroys them and then you get others that, to use our example, shoots a puppy. And a couple of weeks later, didn't something happen with that guy? did he do something? And, you know, so it all depends. On, you know, the, it's fascinating in, in from a psychology perspective, but it's a little disturbing from a society perspective. <laughs> and,
2: and sometimes, like, I, I've had the situation where you're working for an organization and you go to talk to potential clients. And the organization's reputation is not very good, and you have to sit there going, "Well, I'm here to fix that." <laughs> and but sometimes that can help build your reputation as well. And and since we kind of you kind of let us down on this on this topic, what's the rep- represent, rep- reputation for I O right now? I mean, do it, as Dr. Jeremy likes to say, it's you know, it's the oldest profession that nobody's heard about. Uh, do we need to build the I.O. representation in the industry, because, you know, I, I know still there's a lot of people that I could go, yeah, I talk to I.O.s once a week and they're like, oh, what? So h- how do we start to bridge that gap, Lee?
7: Well, you know, I think some of that's already happening. I mean, we, we've seen uh, as the, the community has expanded. Uh, well, that's not even quite the right word. Community was there. It's just we had all these people that didn't know they were even part of a community who have started to find each other, you know, the, the voices in the wilderness kind of thing. And so as people come together and uh, and they talk and they share and they, then that spills over into the world around them. And, you know, just let's take LinkedIn, for instance. I have a whole lot of people on my LinkedIn connections who are not IOs or or even adjacent. And yet they see things that I post or I get tagged in about IO related stuff. Um, you know, take the pop-up networking. We have people who are not IOs who tend to come in and, and, uh, and, and, you know, some of them, they tell me they're just riveted by the conversation because it's like, I've never even heard such things. And, uh, we've had at least one guy who said, you know, I was kind of looking at getting a master's, but I didn't know what in, but I think I'm going to get an IO. So yeah, I think that, uh, we're making inroads and I think the more that the community connects, the more that that's going to happen because you know word of mouth is going to get out there and, and more people are going to be uh bringing it to the fore you know people who had that in their in their portfolio but they go in and they're I- i'm a i'm an od consultant you know and well i mean now they may come out that well they're an od consultant with a background in I/O psychology and so the, what is that and so then we have we're sparking conversations and uh just in the past year the movement i've seen online and whatever else and the number of people that I personally have become connected to is just uh, very encouraging.
2: Yeah and there's certainly an explosion of universities who now have I.O. programs. Uh, It's growing every single day. Uh, Dr. Ariana let's go back to you.
4: Yeah going back to this distinction between personal reputation versus organizational. Well if you're a leader it does kind of blend together because the leaders create the reputation for their organization. But I do agree with what Dr. Martha and Lee were saying about, you know, if this if you have a bad reputation and you don't care about your employees, it might take retirement for things to change. But it also could be business failure. Um, and like Lee was saying, a big indicator of that is rates of re- retention versus turnover. And often those types of cultures have the highest rates of turnover, and turnover is costly. It can impact your business functioning. Takes a lot to hire quality individuals to train them up. So I feel like it's a lack of strategic vision on those individuals' part, which, like we've talked about in other episodes, often relates to a strong ego, you know, and a stubbornness. But I do think that eventually those companies that don't care will see that come out down the line. Um, And as it relates to more of the organization's reputation, I think a big influencing factor at the moment is what I might call a more global consciousness as we get globalized and have insight and sometimes direct video footage nowadays with Snapchat, TikTok, beyond um, of what's happening in other areas. So I think that that's creating more pressure to have a high um, values aligned, sustainable organization related to being more PC, which I like, you know, being more politically correct is usually a good thing when we're honoring different identities and perspectives, um, kind of related to like a cancel culture, you know, where if something negative comes out, people are like, no, you're canceled. We're not about this anymore. Um, and in my line of work, a big part of that is even looking at the supply chain. We in historically have been very disconnected to where did that come from? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? But now we're caring about the whole cycle, the person creating the lumber or they're producing the cotton or whatever it is, we need to care about them and their well-being and their pay and their treatment. Um, so I think that's coming out more. But unfortunately, I do see the tensions that occur for different companies. An example is Amazon, where there was um, some news coming out about their delivery drivers being on such high pressure that they're taking bathroom breaks in their trucks in a water bottle, um, a little disturbing. Um, and yet I am myself guilty of still leveraging Amazon as a service because it provides such high levels of convenience to the consumer, and they have such a wide wealth of products that are, that are available. But I think it still matters because I, even when I use it, sometimes to create personal character, ethical friction for me, if the, they are continuing to treat their employees this way. And it does make me create the tension around, should I be using them? Do I want to seek other resources? Things like that. And I think that does matter for an organization.
2: Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned Amazon because the owner and his reputation really has changed over the last five or 10 years where it's, it, at least in my eyes, it's gone more and more negative where, you know, even five years ago, I was like, I would really like to meet this guy and talk with him because he seems so. And now I'm like, wow, (laughs) I wouldn't want to work for him ever. Um, Well, I just eliminated one client. Well, there you go. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you.
5: A couple of things going back to what Lynn Diane said about a negative comment or something negative is much more likely to stick with us. And Dr. Thompson, um, made a point in in the comments here. And we can look at that in a biological response type of thing because for individuals, and, and everybody will be a little bit different, but generally speaking, it behooves us um, as living beings to pay attention to the negative because it could be a matter of survival. So we're much more likely to pay attention to that as opposed to something that's praise or or. Positive or pleasant, that probably doesn't mean that our survival is at stake. And while, like I said, it will vary a little bit between individuals, some people pay attention more than others. What's unfortunate is that when you get to an organizational level, which is what? But a collection of individuals that seems to be lost or watered down. That doesn't necessarily seem to have the same effect. But we live in the world of reviews and what can a review do? Uh, one of the things it can do, it can really affect a reputation. And we know that people are much more likely to leave a bad review when they're unhappy than to take the time and write a positive review when they are happy with someone or something or an organization, an experienced product, whatever the case may be. So then that makes me think about this whole idea of IOs being this, um, this uh, you know, branch of, of psychology that nobody seems to know about, even though, like you said, more uh, um, universities are now offering programs and more people are coming together as IOs, we still seem to be one of the oldest professions that nobody's ever heard of. From my own experience, I can tell you that a local PSYOP chapter has members who are technically not IOs, but they identify with IO psychology and they consider themselves IOs. They belong to PSYOP. They meet with the chapter. So I think what we could do, one of the things is we'll always come to this, this topic sooner or later. How do we make people aware of IOs and what we can do and how we can help? Maybe we need to leverage this idea of reviews and maybe we can engage our clients. Maybe you get a little discount if you leave a review. I don't know. You figure it out. But what I'm saying is that we live in such a connected world where anybody living in any basement can leave a nasty review trying to ruin someone on something that's completely irrelevant. Why can't we use that for something more positive to bring more attention to IO psychology and what we can do for organizations and the individuals within those organizations. So that's my idea.
2: I think that's a great idea. So start collecting those reviews. Speaking of which, Brendan, (laughs) I'm sure you've got some great reviews from your clients.
8: Uh, Thank you, Tom. (laughs) Uh, Well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, It depends on what day of the week it is. Um, but I wanted to go back to something that Dr. Ariana said, where she was talking about when you're offboarding employees and the reputation of that. And the other thing I think about is when you're recruiting and onboarding employees, too, because when you're looking through resumes and, and looking for different characteristics of things, some people do reach out to their professional network if that person knows or has worked with them before. And this seems to be in those um highly educated field. So what I'm thinking something along the lines of like doctor's offices, uh, mechanical engineers, and those types of specialties. And um, they rely more on word of mouth and network than actual interviews. And they will take that word of mouth on what could have been one incident that wasn't meaningless and it gets blown totally out of proportion, and it's I wouldn't hire them because of this, that, and the other thing. Or that person was a real hard ass when it was like, that was one time where they told you no, because you might have been wrong about something. Um, it does, in fact, happen from time to time. People are, in fact, wrong about things. Uh, so it's it's something that I thought about as well. And then also within the psychology of this, you might have things where I, I'm I'm hiring for multiple positions currently with my organization, with with other clients. And, you know, a skill set that I find very important right now is is selling skills. And one of, you know, a recruiter I was talking to was saying like, well, you know, this person's very salesy. I said, good, that's what I want. Whereas a recruiter is like, I don't want someone who's salesy in this type of role. And I'm like, that's what I need because I'm on a growth trajectory.
2: Yeah, I, I, it's very strange recruitment to me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why I'm an actor. Um, and you know, I've gone through the audition process, which is never pleasant. Uh, but you know we, we it brings me back to the discussions we've had about job descriptions and how a, they never seem to be that accurate for people and, and the positions that people go into. But also it seems that recruiters often don't really know what they're looking for. Um, what's you know let me ask you this since we're talking about reputation, and and I'm sure we've got some recruiters who are listening to the podcast. What is the industry reputation for recruiters?
8: Um, Honestly, if you asked every, polled everyone on this, I guarantee everyone would say it's probably not really good. Um, And what really happens is there's a, a misalignment between recruiters because they only get such a bare, you know, I, I'm looking for these three things. And if they don't have these three things, they don't have the technical knowledge. I mean, I've experienced this before where I was going for a job and they were like, well, you need an HR background, an HR degree. And I was like, well, Shurum recognized as, um, a master's in IO psychology as an HR related degree. And that recruiter didn't know what that means. So they were like, oh, no, you don't have an HR related degree. I was like, thank you. I don't want to work for you anyway. So yeah. like as as much as they're selecting, I'm selecting too.
2: You know, that's great advice for everybody who's looking for a job. (laughs) You can now, especially today, be a little bit more selective. Uh, Lee, let's go to you.
7: You know, that that reminds me, uh, you know, what you were saying a little while ago about positive reviews or or whatever. Um, You know, this also goes to the effect and even the dangers of social media. Because uh, going back to that recruiter, when you apply for a job, what is that recruiter going to do? They're going to go look at Facebook and TikTok and LinkedIn and whatever else. And they're going to see what you put out there. And if your uh, content, even your likes, are something that they have uh, see a potential for issues with. I mean, and, and uh, you know, think about the stories you've heard of somebody who got some great thing. And then somebody dug in and found some tweet they made when they were 14. And all of a sudden their whole life is falling apart because somebody flips out because this 24-year-old said something stupid when they were 14. I mean, who didn't say something stupid when they were 14? I mean, come on, let's be serious. But, you know, when you go to LinkedIn also, you know, that's a professional network. So what are you going to do? Who is that person connected to? Oh, look, I'm looking at Lee and he's connected to Dr. Martha. I know Dr. Martha. Hey, Martha, what do you think about Lee? And so they they will reach out like that because, you know, you know if you apply for a job and you present re- requested references, that's self-selecting. Am I really going to give you a reference that thinks I'm a dirtbag? No, I'm going to give you someone who thinks I hung the moon. I mean, let's be serious. Why even call people who are going to? Because, I mean, if you're dumb enough to give me a reference that's not going to give you a good reference, then I don't really want to hire you anyway. But if I unsolicited, you know, call... Dr. Martha, because I know her and she's connected to Lee. And I go, hey, what do you think of this guy? And, eh, well, you know, I don't know if he's really right for your organization. And if I trust that opinion, that can weigh into my decision. And uh, and, it, and I can guarantee you that's happening right now as we're talking. Somebody is reaching out to someone on social media and saying, what do you think about this person?"
2: Well, you know, I I remember close to 10 years ago now talking to young actors in, in university programs going... You know, we've got to look at your social media. And by the way, when you go to an audition now, potentially one of the questions you're going to be asked is how many followers do you have? Because they're looking at the marketing aspect of whatever they're creating. Do you see the same thing, Lee, that's happening now in business that even, you know, recruiters are looking at how many followers you have, how many likes you have?
7: Well, I mean, let's face it. I do it. If you send me a connection request, I'm going to look at your profile. You know, and I've gotten a slew. I don't know if anybody else is experiencing this. Since New Year, I have gotten a slew of I a mean, huge number of connection requests. And I look and they've got zero or one or, or you know, no activity. And it's like, yeah, maybe this is not. If it's actually a person, maybe this is not someone I want to connect with yet. And, you know, is that fair? Well, maybe, maybe not. But, you know, when I first got on LinkedIn, the first person I sent a connection request to was not a stranger. So, you know, if you if you don't have anybody else connected and you're reaching out to me, you know that really that, there's already questions there. So so yeah. But if I look at somebody and they've got some good content going, they've you know the little LinkedIn, the whole you know 500 plus connections, you know 2,000 followers. Well, okay. You know now there may be some connection there. There may be some commonality. But uh, but even if you have 2,000 connections, and I look and you have no content. Are you really there, or you know? I mean, are you going to bring value to my network, you know, or are you? Is there some other thing, especially if you're, you know, selling crypto or you know whatever else? It's going to pitch slap me as soon as I, you know, accept it. But that's a whole other conversation.
2: Yeah, it certainly is. And uh, boy, I got some work to do on my LinkedIn profile. Thanks, Lee. Uh, <laughs> let's go to Linda Ann.
6: One of the things that a company that I that I used to work for. Um, would do as part of the recruitment process was encourage they they outlined it on the website and they said you know um, if you want to come work from us for us then one of the things we ask you to do is choose somebody that already works for us one of our current employees and take them out for coffee or a beer or whatever and have a conversation with them and find out about our organization and find out if it's an organization that you would like to work for And that did two things. It helped give them insight into the organization. And it also um, gave that particular employee, you know, some kind of temperature check on what kind of a person or employee they would be. And that would help us sometimes to go, what do you think? You know, so having that first inroad into the organization before they ever had an interview or anything like that uh, was an important step. For that particular organization and and really helpful but you also have to have you know a fairly clean house to do that
2: yeah you know it's interesting because i remember talking to one owner leader who when talking about his organization raved about i think it's called glass ceiling where employees can you know talk about the organization they work with and he encourages his employees to post on there about what life is really like in the organization and then it gives those people who may be interested a realistic look of what it's like to come work for his company. So maybe we should look at, you know, reputation building on platforms like that as well. Dr. Martha, back to you.
5: So this this is, um, this is was a very nice segue, Tom, because I've come across an organization that discouraged anybody within their staff uh, from per- participating in social media and, went as far as pretty much intimidating people in meetings, not to ever, ever, ever mention the company. Now, as you can gather, they were relatively dysfunctional um, and they had an obvious fear about any of the dirt getting out. But they would, the, the owner of the company, and I witnessed this and I was in shock listening to this, was telling people literally you are not to post anything online about this company you shouldn't be online anyway I mean this guy was quite a tyrant um, but you know that that just spoke to his fear of what might come out so there's a big difference it will depend on the company some companies want the truth out there Because, well, they feel comfortable with it, and they may even see this as an opportunity to potentially uncover something that may otherwise not be uh, known by maybe the C-suite or whoever within the company. Maybe it's done in a way that people aren't uh, feeling comfortable about talking about it within the organization. And if it comes out on social media, maybe we can look into it and fix an issue. But some companies like the one that I experienced, they were trying to put the fear of God into their employees, not to post anything about that organization because they knew nothing good was going up there. So it will depend on the organization for sure.
2: Well, I'm, I'm not really interested, have you worked with organizations who are doing it right? Is there anybody out there that we can use as an example of? Wow, these people know what they're doing.
5: Personally, I have not. Most people tend to ignore it. Um, you know, some some companies will have a really outdated website. Maybe they'll finally update it and have something more relevant on their current information. But in terms of social media. I have personally not worked with any companies that are proactive and making a presence and engaging employees or potential customers or even vendors. So it's kind of like the the companies that I've worked with, they either ignore it altogether, pretend it doesn't work or doesn't exist rather, or they make a half attempt. Yes, we have a website because you're supposed to and we don't do anything with it, and we don't do anything on social media. Maybe one of our employees talked us into getting a Facebook account, but then beyond that first day, nothing ever happened with it. So uh, personally, I I haven't seen anything stellar, but I'm sure they're out there.
2: We'll do a little research. There's got to be at least one out there. Uh, Dr. Ariane, let's go to you.
4: On that note, I'm not putting this out there for any other reason but the truth, but I think that my company does a pretty good job, um, LRN. They are good at creating a social media presence. A lot of my colleagues, myself included, are allowed to be on LinkedIn during work hours, if not slightly encouraged, as long as it's probably not taken to an extreme. And we even in a weekly session, they encouraged us to all like or reshare this one post so that something to do with like the LinkedIn algorithm. They wanted a lot of attention right away. So I was kind of impressed with that approach. It's smart to get your employees really on board and to get them as your advocate for your organization, putting positive content out there. I also recently attended a ethics and compliance conference, a regional conference in Philly, where there was a speaker talking about innovative technologies that are being developed to actually scan the internet for any company related information that's out there um, to get a sense of what employees are saying what is this creating in terms of reputation what is the percentage negative neutral and positive Um, so I think that's a smart approach because I think that this is an up-and-coming area where people want to know what is their organizational brand across all of social media, obviously, Glassdoor is a big one, LinkedIn's a big one, even things like Reddit. So it's kind of fascinating to see where we're going in this space.
2: Yeah, I was very, very lucky to have a discussion with Glenn Godet of Gagalamp a few months ago. And he's got a whole platform that is designed to turn your employees into advocates using social media. And boy, for the organizations that are embracing that, it's working really, really well. Uh, Lee, let's go to you.
7: You know, from, from an external perspective, um, I have I've gone to an organization that provides training that at the end of the class, they actually they, they give you, the, uh, you know, a QR code so that you can do a review if you feel so inclined. And what they tell you is they say, hey, look, if you got a positive review, we ask that you leave us one. Here's the thing. If you did not have your positive experience before you do that, let us have a chance to address it. You know, if you have a problem right now, let's talk about it. Or here's the boss's card, you know, give him a call and we'll see if we can make this right. If you did not have a positive experience. And thus far, it's been successful. You know, a lot more positive uh, feedback. Um, and I think part of that is immediacy. You know, you sit in the classroom and going, hey, look, pull your phone out and you scan this QR code and give us a give us a thumbs up. Um, because by the time you get home, is it happening? No, it's not happening. Um, unless you're mad and you're still going to be mad. In fact, you're going to probably be madder when you get home because you thought about it the whole way home. Um, you know, and then flipping over to what we were just talking about with the, uh, the, the employees with social media. Um, I have seen companies with social media, uh, policies of you can post anything that you want, as long as you don't list your employment anywhere on your profile. So if you go into Facebook and it does not tell who you work for, well, you say whatever you want because there's no, you know, it doesn't pull back to us. However, if you list us on your profile, then there are rules about how you will post and the tone and topics and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then the flip side of that is what, uh, you know, Dr. Ariano was talking about with, you know, hey, here's, we encourage you. Go out there and and spread the news and whatever else you know. Please just you know keep it positive and PC and whatever else, um, you know. And that can be very helpful. And you know one thing that uh, is a huge difference is these companies that actually think about this and they hire social media managers and and they get someone. It's generally you know someone from one of the younger generations who grew up with this. I mean, they grew up with a phone. They grew up with Twitter. They grew up with all this stuff. As opposed to some of those older people that were like, I remember MySpace. You know, and they're going, my what? So if you bring in the people who actually know how to do this, because I mean, I don't tweet. You hand me a thing with Twitter. I don't, I don't know. It's just not my thing. Um, but you get some people and it's like anything happens and they got a photograph and they got a little, a little blurb and they're they're taking pictures of their meal and they're talking about how great this restaurant was. And OK, great. <laughs> I, I just It's not my I'm not in that group, but. If I were, if I owned a company, I'd be smart enough to hire someone who does to go out and tell all the great things. You know, we need an ambassador. We need somebody to go out there and sing from praises. And really, that's probably, you know, a little, you know, a little small expense on your marketing. Um, because social media is, is not terribly expensive in the marketing, you know, dollars type thing as opposed to ads and, and all that sort of thing. Um, so you know, there's definitely something to be explored there.
2: Yeah, I I come from a rural, remote community and I'll reveal this. I was 13 or 14 when we got the phone. So so, social media, wow, what a big change. Uh, Ariana, I'm sure you're comfortable with social media. Let's go to you.
4: Funny enough, I'm not very comfortable with the personal aspect. I, uh, my top social media has been LinkedIn, which I get a little bit of, you know, flack from, from my friends. Um, but, um, I actually wanted to pivot the conversation slightly, although there seemed like there's a lot of hands around this topic, but kind of tying again, that line between personal accountability and organizational reputation, I wanted to bring up an interesting development from the department of justice that's actually come out where in the case of misconduct and these huge reputational risks for the first time ever, they're starting to make individual leaders more accountable where it used to fall on the organization and organizations have lawyers and they're might be going to pay a fine. But I think it's a huge development for this space to start holding individuals accountable at now at this time, it's setting new precedent for individuals to potentially have to pay fines, um, face jail time and beyond. So I think that's a really interesting thing to see how it's going to unfold in the workplace to see what are the differences when we're actually no longer letting individuals get away with things by having the protection of their organization, and now they're actually gonna be held accountable for their actions.
2: Wow, big change. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you.
4: Wow, Dr.
6: Ariana just opened a new can of worms, I think. Um, but I wanted to get back to what Lee was talking about and um, how the, the particular company was handling any negative uh, experiences that their clients had. And one of the things that I would do when I was in marketing and sales was pay really close attention to any requests and any feedback I got from my clients. And my rule of thumb, because I had done market research, all those kinds of things, um, you know, where you hire a market research firm and they call all these people and all that kind of thing. And it came down to this, and it was, I had at least as good success with this process as spending thousands of dollars for market research. And that was when a client would make a request about a service or ask if we did something or had an issue, I would say, hmm. And when it was the second time I heard the same thing, I'd go, hmm. And third time, you better be doing it the third time was the key if you by the time you heard it the third time you have to pay attention and it was the cheapest way to do market research but it it's it's the best and and to just pay attention really closely it it makes a huge difference um and to move on to the social media aspect of things you know a lot of companies do have a social media policy and what Ariana was talking about, I think, with you know DOJ's um uh trend towards holding people accountable. Some of that's been around for a little bit with, you know, if a bookkeeper sees fraud and things like that, if they don't report it or indicate they can be held liable on that. So there are there have been ways people are being held personally liable um for for certain issues, but you also have to get to the point where are the people what they're posting, is it actually true? Because if it's not actually true, then you're looking at defamation, you know? So you have to be careful and make sure that it's a a tiptoe through the tulips, I guess you could say.
2: Yes, it's hard to believe anybody these days, isn't it? Dr. Martha, let's go to you.
5: Oh, that's, that's something that I'm going to bring up because considering the potential power that social media has, It's amazing how many people think just because it's on the internet or it's on TV back in the day, right? It must be true. And here you have the potential of one PO'd guy who can just rip someone or a product or an organization to shreds. And how many people are looking at that and thinking, this must be it because it's the only thing I'm finding online about this company meanwhile it's the only guy who bothered and he's in a minority of what kind of experience he had similarly we all know that there are plenty of fake reviews out there if you ever come across one usually they're pretty easy to spot however the general public once again if it's online must be true if it's on tv it must be true so the potential that social media has to influence Things including like reputation. Um, I think that it would, it would behoove companies to pay more attention to it and be more involved, engaged, and proactive in what kind of image exists. But again, you know, a lot of organizations think if I don't, if I don't see it, you're not, you don't exist anymore. I don't see you, right? I covered my eyes and that's it. So there's a lot to consider there because social media, good, bad, or indifferent has a lot of potential to either elevate you, drag you down or anything else in between.
2: Yeah, I hear bots for social media are very cheap these days. You can get them at a really good cost, (laughs) but you're right. Often they're quite easy to spot. Uh, Gary, welcome back. Let's go to you.
9: Hey, thanks, Tom. I think we've all touched upon this in one way or another, so I wanted to shine a direct light on it, because I think it's super important. And it's what I would call the uh, weaponization of reputation. So using reputation to destroy other employees, uh, destroy entire companies or products or things like that. I mean, especially nowadays, it seems like it's become extremely amplified with things like social media and the internet. I mean, Phenomenon like uh, the Salem witch hunts, right? Which took place however many hundreds of years ago, you know, which would have been localized or, or closely localized to that small town, the rumors that went around and the whole psychological craziness that happened from it. Nowadays, you know, that's amplified worldwide, right? You can have a Salem witch hunt across the world. And a lot of times when we tune into the news nowadays, that's exactly what we see. We no longer see the news reporting information, but they're all about spinning information. And everybody knows which news channels and outlets they can go to to get a specific particular opinion on what should be objective reality in a lot of, in a lot of cases. So as IO psychologists, as a human resource professionals and the like, it oftentimes falls upon us to solve those organizational problems. And that, you know, when I was new to the field, that was a big eye-opener for me was seeing that political savvy is an important core competency for managers, executives, um, even uh, key individual contributors. So when you walk into an organization and there's problems and there's the reporting problems, a lot of times what's underlying um, are the underlying issues have to deal with clicks or people actually trying to uh, snipe other folks that they see they in their way for advancement or they don't like them because they always disagree them with uh, disagree with them in meetings or what have you. I mean, it's a serious real thing. I think somebody mentioned cancel culture. I mean, that's kind of like the top of and somebody also mentioned, like, you know, accountability, accountability can be good, but it can also be manipulation What I'm seeing a lot nowadays, too, is um, a company might just um, shame you, basically, if you like a political party that they don't like, or they won't, you know, you're not necessarily doing anything wrong or unlawful or anything like that, or anything related to work. It's just, hey, I went to this uh, pro-life rally or something like that, and now we we don't like you. So um, all that that I've said in some is just, I would really like to hear people's perspectives on what do we do about the uh, weaponization of reputation? How can we, what can we do about it within organizations as IO psychologists?
2: And, and let me ask you, Gary. Like, because that you're right. That's happening all the time these days. How do we rebuild reputation if we've we've gone through one of those situations?
9: Yeah, that's like that's a whole another huge, huge area of concern, and that's something that um, I think a lot of us will be tasked with doing as coaches, right? You know. Um, and the other thing I want to I want to point out is if you take a look through history of some of the most influential people, influential in a positive way a lot of those people were really disliked. They were shunned. You know, they were they were not socially popular. They were literally outcast. I mean, who was it, Galileo or someone who said, hey, I, I don't think the earth is the center of the universe. And like, they almost burned that person at the stake, right? And if you look at other popular innovators, especially um, like Steve Jobs comes to mind, he wasn't a popular person, or I always bring up uh, Nikola like, uh, Tesla, not to be confused with Tesla cars, but, you know, the person who basically invented electricity as we use it today, total recluse, completely, like, completely like nobody, nobody liked that guy, you know? So if it was in the age of social media or what have you, like, everyone would be like, stay away from that, dude. He's weird. But he had like some, if maybe the most profound effect on our society, like we use his stuff every day. So um, I'm really concerned about reputation and social media being used as a tool for social and political control, Um and again, what do we do about it as as IO, IO psychologists?
2: Yeah, Tesla's a little bit like IO psychology, one of the world's greatest inventors that most people have never heard of. Hey, Linda Ann, let's go to you.
9: I just, I'm
6: going to build a little bit on what Gary had said. And one of the things I think is important as we're looking for new employees is really paying attention to identifying their values and do they align with the organization's Organizations' values first, so that's why it's a careful. You have to be very careful about identifying your particular organizational values, and then making sure you're doing the things like hiring an I.O. to do an assessment um, to help determine is this person a good fit for the organization based on their values and and for me it's integrity, you know, um and that can go a long way in alleviating some of these issues with being you know undermined and and so forth the other thing too is i think there is a, a, especially in, on when you talk about how in some cases you know people who have such a great impact are real outliers in society and so forth what i'm seeing is that more and more it's important to be courageous in the workforce today it's important to have the convictions of of your beliefs and to have the courage to To stick with them, and to share them. But I think that courage is a, a value that is becoming more and more important.
2: I think that should be on every job description. Courage. <laughs> we need courage. Uh, just to let everyone know, we've only got a couple of minutes left. Dr. Destin, we'll get back to you in just a couple of minutes. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you first.
5: So a couple of things that kind of goes back to what Dr. Gary was saying and what Lynn Diane just said. You know, it's most unfortunate, but... This is part of human history telling lies to drag someone else down so that you can advance yourself. Whether we're talking about the witch trials because your farm was doing better than mine, the guy's a witch, prove me wrong. And it it happens all the time. It happens on social media, it happens in politics, it happens in academia, it happens in science. I mean, when you're talking about those social outliers, Nikola Tesla being a perfect example, we are not about to allow you to give free energy to the people. How would we make our money? This guy's a, you know, a fool. There's, you know, we have to get rid of him. All his work is just nonsense and it's classified, but it's nonsense. Don't believe anything he says. So this is an unfortunate reality of human history. So it goes back to now what Linda Ann said, you're going to be part of human humanity, no choice there, you have to have courage because there's no escaping it. There's always going to be someone who's trying to destroy someone else for their own advancement. So what is your choice? Have courage or not, speak up or not, right? It's, it's a decision, may not be an easy one, but yeah. this is unfortunately part of being a human.
2: Yeah, and unfortunately we, we don't look back at history enough and learn anything from it. We just keep making the same mistakes over and over. Well, it's I thought- on the
5: internet, must be true.
2: Exactly. Dr. Ariana, let's go to you.
4: Yeah, I want to add an interesting perspective around being on social media and having a social media presence. I think that the reality of the situation is we have to protect ourselves. And if you're someone who's interested in growing a reputation on the Internet, I think you have to be accountable and conscious of what you're putting out there. And if you're posting about going to a pro-life movement rally, you need to know that that's an emotionally charged event for a lot of people, and for some people, it might rub them the wrong way. It's the same with, you know, any of those types of conversations. There maybe they belong more on Facebook than LinkedIn, and it's not wrong to start a conversation, but you need to know that you're going to create haters, as they say, if you go forward with posting these types of materials. So I think in my opinion, the best avenue is to create, you know, your own brand around what you represent, like really be clear about that. And if you are representing this topic, then you do have to have the courage to be standing out there and see what the backlash will be. But if not, if that's not really what you wanna be about your professional reputation, maybe take those conversations elsewhere. And that way, whenever people are, you know, posting propaganda about you, your content stands for itself. Someone can navigate to your page and be like, well, this person's saying this, but the last 40 posts have been about this. and The 10 blogs that they've posted have been about this. I don't think that there's congruency. So unfortunately, it's almost like if we want to build a professional reputation, we almost have to treat ourselves as politicians.
2: Yeah, great advice. Uh, Gary, back to
9: you. Thanks, Tom. And I know we're low on time, so I'll be very brief. I just wanted to underscore the point that reputation takes two. Oftentimes when people talk about reputation, they talk about, oh, the messages that are out there, what's being said about people, all that sort of thing. But what about the people who are listening and believing? You need that side of the equation. None of that stuff works if it lands on deaf ears or people who say, hey, you know what, I know you're spinning this. And a lot of times when it comes to interventions, that's where I think we can gain a lot of traction is in educating people about critical thinking, being able to really think about the messages that they receive and say, hey, is that really true? And also being sincere and authentic. Okay, I heard some bad stuff about this person, but let me talk to them myself. So you know what, I think they're a great, they're a great person. So I'm going to have the courage to go along with that. Um, let's look at that other side of the equation too, right? The people who believe um, what's said about someone's reputation.
2: Yeah, once again, great advice. And boy, this has been a great conversation. Uh, Dr. Destiny, uh, let's bring you back in here. uh, Because um, what have you been seeing in the chat area?
3: Chat area? Wow, there's been a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, if you're missing the chat area, I'm sorry, it's 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 there's a lot going on in there, you know. Uh, But I I wanted to leave here today too, with just like a few things like how like, what's the takeaway? What, What are some actions real quick? And Um, effectively managing this can be done in five steps, assessing your company's reputation among stakeholders, evaluating your company's real character, closing reputation, reality gaps, big, big one, right? Monitoring changing beliefs and expectations and putting a senior executive below the CEO in charge. So, and that sole purpose of that person is to monitor all of those things that we just talked about in that, in that five-step thing. So something to consider. Um, lots of stuff coming up if you're, you know, paying attention to CBOC. Uh, We're going to continue the kind of theme of this month, which is thought leading workplaces, uh, which is where this theme sourced from. So thanks for all of it, Tom.
2: It's, it's been a great discussion today. And yes, we're going to be talking about striving to become a thought leader in the workplace in one week's time. And until then, you've got lots of work cookie podcasts that people can be listening to and catch up. I think we're well into the hundreds now in episodes.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at Seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At Seabock.com.